This is Tyrannus Acre Forward, the ag industry's most thought-provoking podcast. Listen to interesting people as we go in-depth into the issues affecting crop advisors, growers, and farm communities. Uncovering the truth about the ag business and using technology to prepare for the unforeseeable. Ready to explore the future? Let's dig in. I'm joined here today by two regional agronomy managers from Stateline Cooperative. And as we dig in, I'm going to let them introduce themselves and their companies. And they're going to talk about how Stateline is moving the acre forward in Iowa and Minnesota. Welcome, Jody and Kelly. How are you today? Great. Thank you for having us. Doing great. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So just briefly for the audience that listens in, you know, they've heard from various kinds of people in agriculture, and we tend to focus on retail and how retail creates advice, where that's going. So there's a lot of retail audience here listening in. So with that, let's just start with you, Jody Soma, Regional Account Manager, Agronomy Manager for Stateline Cooperative. Tell us a little bit about your role, your background, and what you do at Stateline. Great, thank you. Uh, my name is Jody Soma. I'm the Regional Agronomy Manager for the Southeast part of our company. Um, I guess my background really starts uh, you know, growing up a farm kid, but then uh, always really enjoying agriculture. I've been in the industry, you know, probably in somewhere around the 18 year standpoint at this point. Um, started um, started at ag retail at the kind of ground level uh, with uh, the agronomy department. And just over the years, been a location agronomist, then went and was a district sales manager for a couple of regional seed companies and got this great opportunity to come back to ag retail as a, in a leadership role. No, that's, that's really great. It's good to have that history. We get into Stateline and what Stateline does and how it's different here in a minute. I want to introduce Kelly. So welcome, Kelly. You also have a regional agronomy role with Stateline. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure. So, um, uh, I cover for the Northwest, uh, trade area for Stateline, uh, co-op as their regional, uh, agronomy manager. Um, so my background kind of mirrors what, uh, Jody has done and everything. So coming out of college in, uh, uh, right around 2000, I, uh, got started in ag retail, um, as an agronomy salesperson, um, and worked that business till for about 10 years. And then again, had the opportunity to step into a, a district sales manager role, uh, for a couple of regional seed companies. Um, and then here, as of this spring, I uh, had the opportunity to come back into the leadership role um, with, with Stateline Co-op, uh, supporting our sales team on the Northwest side, uh, mentoring them, training them, and and uh, just, you know, finding out what their their uh, passions are, what their growers' passions are, and, and growing the business. That's really great. So Stateline Cooperative, tell us a little bit about where Stateline is lo- located, and what Stateline Cooperative actually does there in Iowa and Minnesota. Great. Um, our, uh, our, where we're kind of set is in that north central part of the state of Iowa, uh, also in Minnesota, we're yep. in that south, south central part, kind of the I-90 corridor area. Um, we have, you know, a lot of traditional agronomy locations, but also numerous uh, grain and, and feed locations as well. Um, our, our strengths really are more working in a hub system for our, our dispatching system as well. So we're becoming more efficient with some of that outreach that way, but also having, uh, local, local, 
agronomist out out in the country. Yeah. So what if if I'm if I'm a customer, a farmer, a grower in your trade geography, whether I'm in the northwest or the southeast, I guess you guys have the opposite corners from one another. What would be a reason that I would choose to buy my inputs and get my advice from state line versus say another source? You know, I think we bring a lot of value. What we really strive for with our agronomy team is having a good agronomist out in the country with them, that they're going to get the highest level of customer service experience with them, but also get that good quality advice that really help them maximize their performance in their crops. Right. I would, I would also agree with that. It's, it's about bringing the right products, having that, uh, interaction with the grower, you know, right at the, right at that farm gate level. Um, you know, as we look at agriculture today, there's can be a, a thousand different variables and it's important to have those conversations with our growers one-on-one. And I feel our team is very successful at doing that. We, and we, we work with a very diverse, um, portfolio of companies we work with. We, we strive for more, let's bring the best products with the value to the growers and not, not hold our agronomy staff that you have to sell this company's, this product. Right. Um, and we do that with chemical, we do that with seed as well, that we, we have that diversity within multiple brands to make sure that we allow them in, in their local market area to do what's best for their growers. Yep. So how do you differentiate? What, what would be your approach, uh, to differentiate all the different products that are offered, all the solutions that are capable? How does Stayline, how do your teams make sure that the growers are making informed decisions and, and using uh, what they buy successfully? Well, I think it's having great partnerships with our, our, our partners in that, that realm, but also we work with our, our staff and constantly uh, do some demonstrations and educational aspects of, in uh, especially throughout the growing season, we're working with them every other week on having meetings, quick meetings that, that really don't take any time other than an hour or so that, that provide value to give them look aheads to make sure that they're taking that message out to their growers. Right. Right. It's easy to get lost, especially in an operational standpoint to get very busy in that and kind of forget some of those steps. And that's where Kelly and I come in place. We, we make sure we hold our, our team accountable to, to see that through with their growers. Yeah. We, we always want to give that, that extra two to three week outlook, you know, as we forecast out, what do we need to be looking for, um, project that out to our sales team and what they might be seeing in the field coming up. Um, and just laying that out there for them so they can have those conversations again. So you've got a lot of history with seed. So, and, and I've been in that realm before, uh, as well. And I think for a lot of listeners, if they're from retail, they understand all these nuances, right? But what's different about your area, particularly Kelly, with your background deep in seed, What's unique about the area that you're in and how people should be looking at the seed and how they work with the plant throughout the season? Because Iowa is Iowa, but there are differences probably county to county, field to field. What have you learned in your history? Uh, just just in the background of in the, in the seed business alone over the last 10 years, it's about not letting that plant, corn or soybeans, have a bad day. It's about providing the best uh, fertility package that we can uh, uh, be successful with. Um, being able to interpret soil tests and make those nutrient recommendations um, and just managing that crop in season and with the products that Stateline has, implementing micronutrients and things like that into a foliar program and pushing those yields. I think that's what makes our growers successful. So both, like I said, both corn and soybeans, it's it's all about uh, driving efficiencies from that standpoint. 
And when you look at that, how do you, how does, I guess, both for you and Jody, I assume you have a pretty good sized staff to manage all of the, the members and growers that you have. How do you know what works on a particular field or farm versus what you see in a seed guide or a trial? You know, how does Stateline kind of understand that with the grower and make those recommendations? What are some of the options or, or methods that you guys, what are, what's a best practice to make sure you're placing correctly and managing correctly? Well, I think a lot of that is just the local data pieces that we have. A lot of the the strip trial stuff that we do in house um, that that look at. We have a precision department that does a great job of that as well. That helps us analyze some of that data with our growers. And you know, and of course, we're going to do some <clears throat> some of our own uh, unbiased. We'll call it, look at some of those products. Working with various companies like that. That okay, we can make the right judgment. And you know, like you talk about the whole big seed catalog. We can help our group with, you know, we've got a great person in our seed department. That's our manager there, you know, help simplify some of that down. Like here's a great focus, you know, you get rid of some of the noise. Here's a great focus we can have as a group and have numerous plots throughout our whole company that we can lean on to, to make those judgment calls ourselves yeah. and make some true agronomic choices with that, that information. So what changes have you seen or what's, what's difficult about that? Because it's not an easy thing to pick the right genetics to understand how you want to manage. There's a lot of risk that goes into making changes on an acre. So what have you seen in your career that's been helpful in understanding that and driving those right choices? And where do you still see risk for farmers and, and ways that you can intervene and help them be successful? It really, to me, a lot of it just lies in the data. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way, it Kelly kind of, talked about it earlier, talking about interpreting soil sampling all the way to the, the yield data. There's so much in that story yeah. of that, that farm and how that grower has their, their practices and how our agronomists work with that grower, that there's so much of that information that grow, we, we capture throughout the season that we have to analyze that to take that for the, the years we have ahead of us to, to always capitalize on that information that we're gathering. I guess one of my thoughts is, uh, you know, as we look back in the last couple of years, um, in the seed business wise, um, you know, we've, we've had a significant, uh, last couple of years has been pretty significant, uh, drought event that we've had in North central Iowa. And it's, it's been tougher to, you know, analyze yield data out of that. Um, you know, some of these hybrids have got uh, pushed aside. Um, but as we look forward, that's what, you know, Jody was commenting about. It's important to analyze all of those hybrids across our, our footprint at, at state line um, to, to analyze that data uh, as we move forward and make those uh, better recommendations for hybrid placement. So this is this is a good topic because when you have a drought, you see hybrids behave differently. It reminds you sometimes when you, you focus on traits that help you with drought, that genetics is always first. It seems like we learn that lesson all the time as we have these events, right? I'm sure that's happening. Then you have wind yep. events or wind shears that have come through. So you've got lodge and green snap things that are going on. So a lot of things can affect the yield. My question for you guys as we have this discussion is, okay, so we're looking at yield data. How do you understand whether it was the seed, the treatment, the nutrition, the weeds, the disease, the management practice, the equipment? I know there's lots of ways to answer the question, but how do you systematically understand how those things contribute to the outcome and how to make a better change for next year. Because quite frankly, some things you can't change in season. Some yep. things are set and you have to learn for the next season, right? That's the business. 
So what are ways that StateLine kind of manages and tackles that with confidence for your members? You know, I think that's that's the beauty of being a good agronomist is okay. you're going to analyze all those different things. We talk about really in this industry, what's a normal year anymore? Well, there, <laughs> there isn't such a thing. It's, it's just we have to mitigate that risk any way possible because we don't know what every year is going to be like. And it's, it's, it's using your tools in your toolbox in a sense too, of how can we do our best, be our, be a, the best agronomist we can be out in the country for our customers. That really drives a lot of that. And, and we have, yes, we, we can't be perfect in a lot of that sense, but we'll, we'll strive for perfect. Yeah. And we, we just have to analyze what's going to do the best in, in certain situations when we have highly, highly productive farms. We know how to approach that. We have some more mediocre ones that we will look at that as well. That we just we have to we have to really get down and drill down to the acre as best as we can to help mitigate any kind of risk that we're out that out of our control, in a sense. No, that 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 does make sense. So, you know, when I think about what's going on on the farm, you saw some hybrids that probably performed well before your drought season that you may still believe in, but we're challenged through the drought. You may not want to name specific ones. I don't know. I'm thinking about your members listening to this. They may want to know a little bit of what you see and what works and what doesn't as they're tuning in. Now, what can you share? What were the lessons from the drought as an example on hybrid placement and selection? Um, I guess as I look back, uh, yeah, we had, I think it was, well, it's a year ago yesterday. So Ju- July, yeah, July 5th last year uh, through the North Central region of Iowa, uh, we had a, a derecho come through. And as I walked those corn acres last year, um, you know, the biggest thing was uh, we took a look at population, uh, plant stand counts, um, stock quality, uh, root scores, and things like that. And, you know, the important thing is, yeah, we can't uh, really fix anything that year. But as we come into this growing season, we're able to evaluate those different uh, uh, values, that economic values that come to the, the table and and basically reset that reset that scoreboard and and just go after this year i i think that's just some of the things that you're able to like jody said you got the tools in the toolbox and you're able to pivot and change your recommendations going into the next growing season so you know and then to to expand on that to me what's really taught us in the last two three years is how accelerated our our yield goals are becoming because we have been able to have by producing crops in tougher years that it just it's it's mind-boggling that in in two years of droughts we can still be uh, putting out over 200 bushel field averages on you know 20 years ago we would have had 100 bushel yes if 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 that so you know we we strive for you know what they talked about 15 20 years ago that 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 initiative to get 300 bushel type yields to feed, feed the world in just in the last five years, it seems like we've made st- steps, leaps and bounds really to really start achieving those higher yields. So once again, we have to adjust our practices too, to accommodate that right. on both corn and soybeans that we are producing much higher yields than we ever have. So that, that includes different fertility programs, different looks at all that, different hybrid and variety selections, um, other different practices, micronutrient, foliar feeds. Um, fungicide treatments and how we can accomplish all that as we continue to add more acres and more products 
over a bigger geography than we ever used to. So what are the challenges? So I think about what we do, right? As Tyrannus with our Acre Ford intelligence. And, you know, I can open and, and take a quick look from the comfort of this chair, which is in Westfield, Indiana, and you're in Iowa. And I can tell you where, say, you have 53.63 acres of grasshopper damage in a crop. Or we could say the same thing about nutrient deficiencies or defoliation and soybean. It is a game changer to understand it at that level. How does that help with state line? Like, how does this kind of information help you change what you do for your growers and make them better? I mean, if you have an early stand count, if you can quantify the weeds on the acre, if you can see the disease or insect damage and the level of severity, how does that affect what you're taking to market and how do you work with your customers with this kind of information? Because it's it's relatively new, right? The tech hasn't really existed to really enable this except for the last two to three years. Absolutely. Well, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. It's it's having that whole field looked at it in an efficient way that we've never been able to do. Generally, we can be boots on the ground as best as possible, and each agronomist is going to be spending time in their growers' fields. But also, you know, we, we've leaned on interns to help do field scouting throughout the season, and and that's kind of evolved a little bit. That uh, that internship is is kind of changed in that role too. So we have to, we have to look at, we still have to empower our group to be efficient, timely, and correct and make great recommendations in a timely manner. In past, you know, as technology has really evolved, you know, we're getting this, this information in a, in a lot quicker aspect than we ever used to, that we can actually do something with it. It's it, instead of it just being part of the story, this is why your yield was this, we get to react to it in season. I think that that to me is one of the most powerful pieces of that tool is being able to have that information at the palm of our hand and be able to react to it, or at least gives us some insight of, okay, you need to go look at this part of the field because something's going on. I'm not sure folks that haven't experienced or even customers that, that you have that haven't experienced this really see the picture, right? And, and we treat privacy very carefully, so I'm not bringing up, we're not going to talk about a grower's field, we're not showing this, but I'll describe what I see on my screen right now. As I can search for a customer for you, and you can sit there, you could go through and say, show me everywhere I have a sulfur deficiency and see it as if you're standing over the, the farm, right? You're standing there. How does that change how you work and how does that make it better for the grower? Because that's what I want to make real is people say, well, what is it that you do? And when I describe it to folks, they, basically you can FaceTime your farm. Right, yep. that you can see what's going on, and you can understand all the things if you were standing there. But you can have instant communication, grower to you, state line to the grower, and you can change your plan for this year and for next year. So, talk a little bit about how that maybe makes state line better to work with as a customer, as a producer, and what are some of the things they should expect service wise from state line. I guess uh, to kind of answer that question, um, I'll lead as an example. This year. Um, my part of the region for, for state line co-op was uh, probably in that mid-May to late May was uh, we had some pretty significant rains up in that, that I-90 corridor in southern Minnesota. Um, so when we started seeing the the flights come in um, that uh, showing up uh, nitrogen deficiency because we had some leaching in, in there, we were able to pivot, see those recommendations uh, or those flights come in and been able to uh, get on that quicker, quicker time frame uh, from an operations standpoint and make those... Uh, uh, urea applications or, or, uh, 32 applications with some, uh, drops or something like that. Right. Um, 
faster, you know, and I think, you know, having the, the, our agronomy team, uh, have that information as well as our customer, uh, having those, uh, that information in their hands quicker, uh, helps, you know, mitigate some weather events coming in that, you know, let's get this done quicker, faster, um, just helps the process as we need to cover acres from a operation standpoint. And and Paul, you know, to expand on that again, you know, we saw that, especially in the early season population counts that, you know, our, our team is very busy involved with getting application done with uh, the pre-merge aspect. Um, and then some early post all in that same time period. Okay. We need to evaluate some stands to see if we, we need to validate and go look at some possible replant situations or not. Right. And there's that human element that we struggle with with some of that, that the human eye sometimes see, sees a lot worse than what the, the AI can. I think that's the neat part about it is we can take a better scientific approach at it that, okay, maybe it isn't as bad and maybe it's something that can be okay. Or yes, it, it's, it's something that's very concerning. We need to address that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're talking about putting data in context, but also having comparison. So the thing about artificial intelligence, and we say AI, I always remember our audience is it could be active ingredient, artificial insemination, and now artificial intelligence is everywhere, right? <laughs> And so I always remember that, but, you know, just thinking if we want to see Palmer Amaranth or Pigweed for your customers, we can click right now and see X number of acres, exactly where it is. The corn's up, right? So I could look at something from last week that was planted on May 1st. Yeah, you got to throw drops on, but you know whether or not to even go to that field. You Mm -hmm. know where to go. You know how bad is it worth it, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about pigweed, you really can't have a lot of tolerance for it. But as agronomists, you can have a discussion now not only with the customer, but the folks you're hiring. You see, when you see this, we need to act. We need to move. Because I'm assuming that state line I should ask, you do provide custom application services for your customers? Yep, we yeah, sure do. do. Yeah. And so if you are applying the herbicide or you have the program, it's in your best interest and your customer's interest to have an awareness. Because even as good as you are, sometimes things happen. Sometimes there are gaps. Sometimes there are reasons where weeds start to get out of control. I assume that you guys want to be ahead of that and you're working to to drive a better value for your customer. So what happens if I'm a grower with state line today and and I'm on the app and I can see Palmer Amaranth. My corn's up. It's now beginning of July. We're working together. What's what's the approach? What does state line do? What do you guys do? I I, I think you have to take some of those as a field by field approach. Okay. Is what you have to do. Um you know at this point weeds are are a very difficult thing to deal with because now our, our options are super limited um, and it becomes a little bit of a waiting game on some of that. I, I foresee, I mean, the wheat thing early on is great. I think the wheat, the wheat conversation is a far different conversation than where we start evolving into that conversation of insect pressure and disease okay. pressure and might, yeah. you know, nutrient deficiency issues that we, we might be looking at. That to me, when we can kind of see that and, and, and look at it as, a whole company approach too. we can do some far better forecasting and understand, okay, we need to really connect with the operation side of this because we might be spraying some insecticides for the next week or two because right. we see a flush of something coming in. Same thing with disease, you know, tar spots, a big conversation we're all having right now. And okay. some of it's the unknown part, but it, it it's something that you can kind of come with uh, weather patterns as well. Yep. So, that gives us a better insight, I feel like, especially to maybe 
other ag retail in the area that we'll we'll have that knowledge of getting out there doing some boots on the ground scouting to identify that. But if we have that capability to be out there earlier on some of that and and deploy our fleet on that, we could completely change the the trajectory of that crop, what it could have been, versus all of a sudden coming on a, um, an area that, oh my gosh, this blew up over a matter of a week. It's too late. But this changes so how you task and prioritize resource, right? Because right? if you know the stand, you know the potential of that field. And then if you've managed weeds too well, but you see insects coming in, you should prioritize that for an application over maybe something that had a rougher start or maybe has a bigger weed problem. Because you have to balance out for your farmer basically where they're going to get the most productivity. And this is a way to put all those inputs together and make an informed decision instead of just what's the easiest route or who did I see at the coffee shop this morning, right? It's more scientific. Yep, absolutely. It gives us better decision-making in real time to understand where we got to be. You know, we talk about the innovation, especially within the state line, that we're even exploring and demoing using drones to do some of our spraying as well. Well, that gives us that ability to go out and have those drones located in a certain portion of our company that that's where they're going to focus most of their time right now. Right. So it just, it gives us that power and that ability to have that information and data to do a better job for our growers, but also gives our team a better, better data set to make some of those decisions going forward. So when you're spraying with drones, and I think it's good tech, I think to use drones, you still have, we know this, right? power limitations, uh, what it can carry. So you have to be very precise. You have to know which field you're going to, where in the field you want to go. Well, obviously we help with a lot of that because we see the entire field with the acre four uh, capabilities. Uh, my question for you is what are the kinds of applications you are doing with those drone services? And why do you think it's important to have aerial application with drones for your customers? You know, I think this technology continues to evolve with that. It, we're, we're showing that it's scalable now. For years, it, it wasn't a scalable aspect, but now we're looking at, we're hoping to be able to go and spray insecticide, fungicides, um, some foliar feed type products that we have to try to keep that rate per acre down. You know, we're trying to have it in that two, two and a half gallon rate per acre. Um, that That's the scalability factor of it. And we've set up, our teams put together one heck of a, a tendering system that they're set up as, when they leave for the day, they ne- they don't have to come back. So they're going to be dispatched for the day and be able to go to the area that they need to be in, in that time factor. I think that, that helps them be the most efficient they can. Uh, we, we operate two drones in the, within the same area at the same time. So they have, we have two pilots running a drone each that they might be in the same field or they might be just in a neighboring field to each other. Depends on what we're dealing with at the time. Um, I think. As we continue to expand on that, it'll be very interesting to see when we do run into some more crucial time period stuff on how well that really works for a company like us. Yeah. And I think that'll that'll really go to show, okay, we, we need to expand, expand that fleet or we're pretty satisfied on, on having, once again, well, those tools in our toolbox for application. Especially when we talk about insecticide loads, we're going to be able to fly those drones in situations that an airplane might not be able to get to that field because of weather conditions. So it gives us that more capability to, in real time, be more flexible. Yeah. And of course, we've got our ground rigs that we do application with, and we also will still provide a great amount of aerial application as well. 
with a lot of that. But the technology is changing even where you go field to field and know mm -hmm. which equipment you need to bring out, how you want to approach it, whether it's selective, understand rates or options because you're recording what's happening through the season from the moment that seed's gone in the ground. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So what are the challenges? Like technology has been around a while. Like, obviously we run into this a lot. What are the challenges you see with technology and your teams and working in the market with growers? And what are the benefits? Like what is tech when it's not good? And what is tech when it's really good? What's the difference? I think that adaptability. Yeah. I think it's asking our crew to do one more thing that isn't been traditionally in their in their day. Let's, let's call it that way. Asking them to do one more thing, learn one more thing, have another piece that they have to add. So we're especially on the agronomy aspect. We're asking our group to be in four or five different programs at all times. Okay, depending on the year. So ask them to do one more thing and making that their new general practice. Yep. So you have your more seasoned people that are are very committed and have their way that they've been successful. But I think we you know we have to help them adapt to some of that and learn some of that and and utilize that for them to be better at what they've done for 20, 30 years. Sure. And then our, our younger group that obviously on a technology standpoint, they adapt very quickly, but they have to be able to use the technology, but they also have to have that, that foundation, that fundamental of agronomy, that they also have to learn that stuff, but they can't, we can't just completely lean on technology, right? I guess in a sense too, that we have to have that, that ability to have that true science and understanding of agronomy. Yep. So Kelly, what do you think about that? Cause I find it interesting. It's, I think it's cause it's 2023. When I asked the question, what is tech when it's not good? And what is tech when it's really good? And rather than talking about the tools, you actually talk about the craftsmen, the people who use the tools. So how right. that tells me we've changed as an industry where technology is not about the innovation. It's what it can do, but you're actually talking about how you work with it. So share a little bit, kind of, what you see is best practice for how your teams adapt and work with technology at Stateline and what the benefits are for your customers. Well, I, I think, you know, like Jody said, it's about uh, train, training all of our team, you know, having the, the uh, veteran folks uh, trained in on the technology side and having the, our younger part of the team trained in on the agronomy side. Um, so, you know, there's that part of it. Um, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to the, the relationship at the farm gate and having those conversations leading with agronomy, um, you know, I think drives our, our sales from that standpoint, but it's just, you know, this comes down to relationship business with, with our growers. Um, and from a technology standpoint, it makes that grower more efficient, uh, at the end of the day, uh, makes our sales team more efficient. Um, just bringing those answers and, and, um, recommendations to that grower and, just helping them be a better uh, producer at the end of the day. So, how do you, so what I think about the tech that, that we bring is we could easily say, well, we take really high resolution pictures, we tell you what's in them, and we could leave it there. But the way we lay out the information, the way it works, and what I find interesting about our conversations, even leading up to this, is it should change how you're working internally with each other. If I've got veterans, because there's no, you get to an age where you really start to value experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so you bring that experience, but what's hard about experience, and as you get older and you get more of it, you really have a desire to pass that on and scale that through others. And I think tools like what we're doing together with the Acre Ford tech actually enables 
your veterans to pass on their knowledge and bring people up to speed much quicker because you're seeing more and you're getting more experience. But it's a matter of, I don't think tech can replace a person, but it can help them get more out of the experiences much more quickly and create more trust in the relationships. Do you agree with that? And what, where do you see that, that working? Absolutely. You know, that's one thing we talk about with our group and, you know, discussed it before is we have all this information at our fingertips, but there has to be actionable items that go with it. If we have no action with it, then what did we, what did we do with that information? What do we do with that data? So we still have to be accountable on that, that standpoint is there has to still be the actionable piece to it. I just think it's so interesting starting to do this is you, you look at all the other industries and maybe I'll get into more controversial topics because you look at other industries and if you get your car service, I've given this example before, you literally have a video, a link in your text message, pictures of your car, a message from the mechanic and your service provider. It's basically scouting your engine, right? Scouting your vehicle. And you can make choices and you say, well, why doesn't ag do this? Every company has looked at whether it's e-commerce, whether it's imagery, whether it's things off of equipment and said, why is agriculture, why is it so hard? Why is it slower to adapt? Why aren't we doing these things? I think we're kind of coming to that is there's a lot of complex factors. I heard a doctor on a different podcast the other day talk about physics versus biology. And he's an engineer as well as a doctor, right? He did aeronautical and he said, listen, there's something, we're always learning about physics, but there's some things that are pretty cut and dried that when you do these equations, it's repeatable. When you enter into biological systems, you don't have the same pattern. And I think for those listening, if you're not from ag, this is a lot more like how a doctor treats a patient and uses tools to understand the patient than straight cut and dried algorithm, put this equation in and this way you get a better crop. Because it's a very complex system, right? I think where I'm leading with this is, do you think folks really understand the complexity when they bring tech to this market? Uh, of what it takes to grow a crop around biology, chemistry, around the equipment, around all the components that go into it? Or do you think we're just now starting to understand that and embracing tech in the industry? What's your view? Because the last 20 years, we've seen a lot of attempts to come in and simplify the input selection process and how you pick a hybrid, how you manage a hybrid, what works and what's changed? To me, from what I've seen, it, I mean, you, you kind of hit on it there is we've seen a lot of companies that really don't have a true attachment to agriculture and the true understanding of it. They, they look at the numbers. They look just only at the data aspect, data sets of it, but they don't truly understand, you know, agriculture or even agronomy in that aspect. I think that's where that, that gap has been with those companies. And they, and you know, a lot of those aren't even around anymore that without having that baseline understanding and truly that, that piece of it is where they failed. So did they have some great ideas? Absolutely. But it was just pieces of it then. Okay. That's a great concept, but how can we, how can we steal that? How can we make that actionable? You know, what really value does that bring? What value does it bring to the ag retailer or agronomist? What value does that bring to the grower? Or is it just, is it just information? So I think that's a lot of that. What we've seen in this industry is a lot of, a lot of those that are very much tech driven but big detachment or a lack of experience in, in this industry. Um, I think that, that's gotten far better, especially just in the last three, four years, as it seems like that the companies that are now coming with way better products or way better technology for us to utilize in that realm is now becoming those pieces that we can actually use 
to be better producers, be better, you know, I mean, I think every, every farmer out there wants to be a great steward of their land. And I think that misrepresentation out, out in the, you know, even the world aspect, they, they miss that point that the, every grower, every farmer really wants to be a good steward of the land. They want to produce as much crop off of that land that they are farming and, and, and in the best way, best practices. Right. There's not all, there's not really any of them that are, are using a surplus of this product just because I mean, our no. cost, our cost really eliminates right. some of that concept. So I think when we evaluate that and, and bring the right technology with the right tool pieces that help us really be actionable to those things, to me, that's where technology is really starting to take off. I mean, yeah. we look at auto steer and GPS from 20 years ago to where it is now. <laughs> You know, everybody thought that was just a crazy fad of why the heck do, do I have to have something drive my tractor for me? And now look at that. It's a very common practice. So. No, we're, I think, Kelly, I was thinking about that is auto steer. You get into all the technology. Now we're talking about if you really want to know what's going on in your field between when that planter leaves and before the combine gets there, we're putting drones and planes in the sky and reporting what's going on and quantifying it with AI. Like nobody buys for artificial intelligence, right? They buy for the results. And they want to understand what's there. So the world's changed. So what do you think, you know, when you look at tech, what, what is changing and what do you find like incredibly valuable and what do you think the mistakes were in the last 20 years or so? Well, you know, as I look back in the, in the last 10, 20 years, I think the cloud-based uh, information that's out there now, I mean, the, the ability, you know, when I got started in retail, uh, you know, yield monitors were just a new thing coming up in the, in the late nineties and things like that. And, and internships. Uh, that I did, we we put in plenty of yield monitors and everybody thought that was the newest fad. And the technology, how it's grown, like Jody said, into the planner and things like that, the technology's gotten way better here in the last, I'd say in the last five or six years, how they've been able to hone in. And, uh, you know, we all know that the planner is probably the number one piece of uh, equipment that pays the bills on the farm and it has to be set and accurate as possible when we go to the field. So I think that that from that standpoint, I think it's, it's, uh, it's probably... Yeah, probably the last five or six years, it's just gotten honed in and the data that's out there and to be able to make those decisions from a grower level, I think is uh, is just tremendous. And it's a huge benefit to the grower from that standpoint. You know, I, I just I just wanted to throw one thing in, you know, we yeah. talk, Jody talked about the technology side, but, you know, as I look back here in the last five, 10 years and doing grower meetings and just on the biology side of things, on the science side of things, you ask these growers that put in 10, 20, 30 years of, of planting a crop, maybe 40, you know, how many of those years have been the same? And they'll exact, everybody will tell you actually zero have been the same, you know? So it's, it's, it's a biological type of process that we approach every year. Um, we try to set the table as good as best as we can um, and bring the best practices forward. No, I think that's right out to think it's interesting, Jody, the way you're starting to answer the questions because you bring in, you're implying, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you're implying that the companies that bring tech, the motivation behind the tech is as important as the technology, like the intention of the company, because <clears throat> to your point, our audience is probably ag advisors, retailers, and growers mm -hmm. that live in rural communities, like we do. Less than one percent, maybe two percent of the population. So there's a lot of people who have taken an interest in what happens, and and we believe that we know or we understand what's going on in the farm. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people 
in my travels or outside the industry, everybody should do a cover crop. Everybody should do regen egg. Everybody should do X, whatever it is, whatever it is. And the reality is these are complex systems and there's trade-offs to each of these choices, Absolutely. right? I can make choice A, but then I'm using more herbicide. Maybe that's better. I could make choice B, but I'm producing less crop. And, you know, so there's always a trade-off. And I think we're starting to get to a point where we need to be better advocates because the value chain and other players are taking great interest in what happens locally. But I, I don't know that we're always the best advocates. I think we have a good story to tell, but we're not always showing it. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on being advocates of being good stewards, showing interested parties that this is being managed well. What do you think? I, I think that's where I go back to that that statement I made earlier is from a state line perspective is we have great quality agronomists that the, that science of agronomy is the most important part working with our customers. That it, if we don't hold that as our key factor of why we're making the decisions with our growers, it, I don't want us to be seen as a salespeople out there just, just selling products to sell products. I, I think it's making those right decisions with our growers that they're seeing that balance of highly productive crops, but with a return on their investment. I think that's, that's that nice balance we have to really approach with them right. and helping. And we, we have that capability to help bring those markets, those products, those pieces to them in, in that value. I just think there's a lot of things in our society that is fashionable to criticize or question. And the less you know about it, the more of an opinion sometimes people tend to have because it doesn't affect me, right? If I live in the right. suburbs, I live in the city and I want to pass an opinion on what a farmer should or should not do. The impact to me, I may not fully understand or feel immediately, but I feel good maybe. I know that's controversial about doing something, but when we think about these complex biological systems that have opportunities, chemistry, which by the way, we use a lot of chemistry and other things. That's how you have wastewater treatment. It's how you have things in medicine, right? It's not a bad thing, but I've never worked in a better industry or seen a better industry where people are bringing in the biological sciences, engineering, chemical sciences, like all of these things together. And I think we can do an even better job and we probably have more of an impetus now to show that competence. In fact, I don't even know that we're attracting enough people to the life sciences and to agriculture through schools. And I think that's where I'm excited about technology changing because it's opening new doors and new avenues Absolutely. for people to want to work. I think it's going to change. Like, why, why would I go work in retail or for a co-op or state line? What would the answer be? going forward versus where it was 10 years ago, right? You know, I, and we, we talk about that a lot and, and we're lucky here in the state of Iowa. We've got tremendous, you know, universities and, and community colleges that really help drive some great agricultural based education. You know, we're, of course, we're biased to the Iowa State's, you know, uh, on the leading edge of a lot of different pieces of that with agronomy, of engineering, a lot of those lucky type talk about life sciences to that. Oh, having an unbiased look on some of those on the research aspects as well. I think you know, we're we're lucky to have pieces like that, and, and we're the ag industry just can you, continues to grow, and we need more quality people to be excited to be in it. It's a very highly rewarding uh, industry to be in. It yes, it can involve some hard work, but that reward with that hard work is is so valuable. I think when you at the end of the day. I guess to me that's that's what I, I look at, especially as we're starting to try to recruit new people. We need we always will need that the new generation to help carry on 
some of the traditional pieces, but also be in that innovation future piece of all this as well. No, I think that's fair. I just, I, I worked for Syngenta for almost 12 years and, you know, I lived in a suburban area when I did that, but I would travel a lot and I would get challenged often, especially back when everyone knew Monsanto's name. Yeah. Yep. And they would, and what they figured out what you were doing, you'd get challenged on the science to biotech or the science of whatever it is. And they didn't look at it as science and you had to advocate. Like we were well positioned and well trained to be able to advocate for the use of these tools. Sometimes it would take, if you were willing to, I remember I had a, a 45 minute car ride with a driver and I had to explain why our tomato garden actually works well and how that's analogous and the, and the breeding techniques and the things that go. And I really think we have such a great story to tell that we should show it off. And I, I believe Stateline does too. Like all the service you provide a grower, I think they know, but it's helpful to be reminded and have that attribution of, look, we see your farm, we see what's going on, we're making the right choices. And when I show the technology that you're using with us that we provide, both at a grower level, at a retail level, but even just to the common public that doesn't know anything about this, the appreciation and the amazement of what we're able to do in agriculture comes to life. So I really think we're turning a corner with technology being fit for purpose. So I think with that, I'm going to open up a topic and if you could talk about it, however you'd like to talk about it. But we've seen a lot of people say, why can't I, why do I need to work with retail? Not, not in the local area, your members know, but I think outside people say, why do you have these steps? Like, why does, why do I need an advisor? Why can't I just go say online or to a catalog and just pick what I need, plant and go? What's your response to that? I would say, you know, as I look back in my 20 plus years in the business, this has always been a relationship business. You know, there's thousands of variables out there that can affect a, a crop, you know, every year, you know, everybody can, like I said, set the table, but you know, as we move through the growing season, uh, weather events, things like that can, can change, uh, things, uh, very quickly. And I think having that that contact at the farm gate with with our sales team, uh, with the grower, uh, they're able to to uh, be able to pivot quicker from that standpoint. And it just uh, they have somebody to rely on. I mean, you know, as you look at the uh, the input costs and the the way agriculture is structured now, it's it's a huge investment that they have involved in this. And you know, having someone on their team like a, a state line agronomist is is a huge benefit to make right. those help them make those decisions and uh, move forward. So that's how I look at it anyway. It to me too. It's we we talk about the emotions that come into the decision making. You know this this every grower I work with that you know with that experience, they all are very close to um, that crop, those fields, and there's a lot of emotions tied up into it. I mean that's their livelihood. That's, that's everything that we're doing now is going to show, are they going to have a profitable year or are they, are they not? And there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in that. They've got so much money on the front side invested in this crop to, to see to fruition to the, to the harvest point of the season, to be as highly productive as possible, make as much money as you possibly can. And, and yes, the farm economy has been decently strong recently, but we talk about the cycles of all that. And there'll be a time and time where there's a lot of non-profitable years. So I, I feel like when they work with somebody closer 
as a great trusted advisor that's going to help them make the best practice decisions. To me, that's that's where that that value piece comes into play. Right. Making those right decisions in that right situation, right opportunity to to make sure we need to help take part of that emotion out of that and help just make help them make those right decisions in a sense. No, I think the advisor has a critical role. I think when we were talking about the tech, I think I was trying to marry some of the assumptions outsiders to the industry or some insiders were making around the value chain, right? You get the input providers, you've got retail distribution in the middle there, and you've got a farmer. I think we do see farms getting bigger, mm-hmm. but you also see retail responding to that with scale. And beyond the last mile service, which always needs to exist in logistics, there's a very important advisory capability because you have scale, not just of size, but of knowledge, right? You're seeing a lot more over many fields and you can bring that to a farmer. Yeah. So what, how does Stateline look at innovation and that and tackling those kinds of things with its growth? Yeah, you know, our demographics is, is such a wide span of, you know, your 150 acre farmer to 20,000 acre type plus farmer. And you got to kind of fill on all the in between. And they're all going to need a different lo- level of service, different level of expertise and advice and service. You know, the way we service all those different aspects of those growers. Um, I just looked at with technology and all that, those, those pieces that we can use to, to hit that demographic as best as possible, the best service our customer base. I agree. I agree. So we, we put a little bit of time into this conversation. There's a lot around state line, innovation, hiring well, using technology. Somebody who tunes into this, what's the takeaway from Jody and Kelly on why they should put their trust in state line and why they should continue to do that year in, year out? I think it is this driving that, well, that right culture. And that's a, that's a leadership down aspect. When you have okay. the right culture, the right ideals, the right fundamentals as a company, as as a group, I think some of that kind of takes care of itself. That you're trying to strive to do the right things, the best things, best practices, uh, the most expertise possible. So to me, it's it's a lot of it, that culture that we're very traditional a lot of ways, and we're very innovative in a lot of different ways that we're we're always striving to adapt and utilize technology and innovation to its highest capacity possible to help bring that value to me that that's the excitement of a company like this that when you can have a great culture great group of people you know you hire well into that culture you support and hold that accountable as well i think that just translates out to the country where what what them girl working with us what they're gonna see and capture with a company like us versus somebody else. Now, yeah, like Jody said, having that, having that culture created and just being able to, you know, have our customers see how we go to market from that standpoint, the, the service and everything that they, that they uh, get from the state line versus maybe a competitor down the road, I think it's been a huge, huge benefit for, for our standpoint. Um, just, you know, having, being the, as most efficient as possible, and and driving those relationships, uh, right? I think sells ourselves apart from the competition. And, and from what we know about state line, it's about honoring your promises. We have the same mentalities. We're going to make a promise, and we're going to make sure. Even though for Tyrannus, our tech is pretty much nobody else has it. No one has it. 
to be a long time before that happens. We still put a ton of investment in the customer success and service and aligning our incentives to what's successful for the customer. And I think that's what successful retail cooperatives do. And I see and hear that uh, from you all at Stateline and, and from what we know from our teams and our customers. I think it's fantastic. But it's always downstream from leadership and culture to be clear about who you are and who you are not. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Because today, there's a lot of people who believe, well, if, I, if I'm farming enough, I just need to put out bids and get the best price on a product. And you should always get the best deal you can get. But there are trade-offs to tin shed purchasing or online purchasing, right? And online is just a method. It's just a method. Right. I'm yeah. going to go online and purchase from a brick and mortar or somebody that I trust. That's, I know is going to give me the last mile service. I need to be connected. I need to have a relationship. This is a relationship business because it's highly complex and it requires a lot of inputs. Farming is an independent endeavor in many ways, but really it's a community and it's a local community that's coming together. It's why we have cooperatives to make sure the inputs are there, the equipment's there, the capabilities there. And if I have something fail on my plan, I've got a backup. And that's, that's why for those that aren't from this, that hear this, you really, they got to understand the complex systems that have been built to support a local farmer in society. It's moving big, heavy piles. It's making sure equipment is there. It's making sure that the inputs are there and stewarded properly. And that we could take a little bit of risk across many farmers in making sure that those inputs are procured and there. So I think even how the value chain works, there's been some underestimation of the value that retail brings. And retail is already situated to be at that point to take this technology and make it work for their area and for their farmers, because it's different everywhere. Every county, every field is special. And I know the state line takes that approach. I thought that's why I would address this here because it is such a complex business, but when you have people that live, work, breathe it, using the right tools, it only gets better, right? You could be a good agronomist doing it the old way. You could be a better agronomist and leave a legacy with your farms and with your other agronomists if you're using tools that record, that help you disseminate information, that help you see more much quicker. And I think that's where we're at in 2023. So I always like to have advice because you've got probably competitors, but also fellow retailers in non-competitive areas listening. I'd ask each of you, what's your advice for someone working in retail today that wants to provide good service to their growers? What are the one or two things that they should be focused on or doing that you found helps you and your teams be successful? And it's okay to tell them to work with Tyrannus on Acre Ford. But in addition to that, in addition to that, what are the things that you really think can help someone differentiate and be a good retail advisor? I would say honesty and communication. Yeah. That's kind of been my driver for the last 20 plus years. And, you know, I push that out to my sales team. Just having that, obviously, honesty goes a long, long ways. But the communication, you know, as we get into springs that just don't work right, I mean, we were hot and heavy go-go here in the middle of April this spring. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, 10 days of rainfall or what have you, cool temps. So having that communication is key to the grower and just keeping them involved with what's going on goes a long ways. So absolutely. I mean, that communication piece, I think for a lot of, a lot of pieces, you know, a lot of different industries is, is a very difficult thing because it takes work. It takes effort. Um, so the communication piece, I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. I think you, when you have that commitment level, I think it, it's it's being very committed to the role and what it takes to do a good job of that. And I think when you have that commitment level and that understanding that there's never really a finish line, 
in this industry. That's it's, true. That's true. That is, you're you're true. always you always have to be open to new ideas and learning new things and learning more things. Um, and some things that relearning things that you know we talk about cycles and a lot of stuff that and that's I think that's what we try to strive with our group and and having those meetings every two weeks is there's some of those people that that know a, a great wealth of knowledge in this industry you know there might be some things we bring up that they haven't thought of for 10 years because they didn't yes. have to right right so i think i think that that just trying to do the right things that communication piece really being committed to the role being committed to you know striving to do the best things best practices and, and just really forming those good relationships right i think it's such a big key to a lot of that that the reward it, to me it is a lot that we see it, so much of that reward in that that to me that, that that means a lot you know to me it's always been when your growers have a good year you have a, a good year you know that's kind of your reward in a sense too that right but you see that and you see how happy they are with what what went on i mean you, you grow a friendship in some of that too and you have an obligation to tell that story right because they agree a relationship should be ordered to the good for 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 both parties in it right we get into some i get the kids say meta but basic stuff right is what is the underlying principle that we're looking for? So you said a lot. I hear honesty and communication. Okay, honesty requires that there's an understanding and full perspective, right? So you need to know what's going on on the acre. So I'm able to tie it into what we do, but also what you do. Is you're there, you see things. The more you see, the more you're able to share, communicate. You have a reason to be there. And honesty comes from trust, right? Is you give them honesty. First, it gets verified, and then you bring in the trust element of relationships, which obviously you have. And all of this is downstream as you scale because you're responsible for yourself until you have a team. So it's about downstream from leadership and culture. And that gives you the commitment. That's why you choose to work for or with Stateline because of the things that you guys are talking about. And then finally, I think about relationships. So what is a good relationship? So I've said this before and we, we really mean it. And I believe that, that you guys agree with this is a relationship is between two entities, two people. And if you want to have a relationship, you want to serve someone well in a relationship. To do that, you got to know them. You got to really know them. And then as you know them, you start to really care. Or we use the word love, right? You love them. Like when you meet your wife, she's not your wife when you meet her. You might tell her you fell in love at first sight, but we all know that that's... And if you have daughters, you tell them that that, that is not how it works, right? <laughs> you need to get to... I have five daughters, so I could say that. So you need to get to know someone. But the more you and your teams know, or the more you know someone, the more you actually care. And the more you care, that creates that commitment, you can serve them better. So we really think about knowing, loving, and serving. And the basis of that is really knowing what's going on. And you all do that each and every day, right? You're there on the acre, you're with your customers, and now you have tools that serve that up, thousands of acres at a time to say, I know you, and my team knows you at a level, and we're able to look at it now, two months from now, four months from now, and understand what drives your success. And that creates a, an entity that really can take that culture and mobilize it into a service attitude. So I think if you build tools of that mentality that you're focused on the good for the other, you're going to have a great economic, but also cultural output that differentiates yourself from your competitors. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I know it gets a little sappy, but I really think what I've noticed with professionals like you and then I had one on the podcast. He took a couple of businesses, one from zero to 200 million in revenue. 
Right. Wow. And I asked him one time, and it might be on the podcast, Joe Stout. I said, what What would your advice be on building business? You know what it's never about? The tech stack or a hierarchy or a financial thing. He talked about the things you spoke about, leadership, culture, honesty, commitment. And that's what people get when they get an advisor, say from state line or somebody with real experience is all of these other things are prerequisites. But if you don't have the right culture, the right knowledge, the right relationships, you don't have a business. And the economics are just a reflection of that. Absolutely. 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 I think, you know, we really talk about that a lot, especially within our leadership group is culture. You know, when you do do the right things for your, your employees, your company, your customers, that culture piece really strives in the long, the long haul. I guess I look at it that way is there, there's sometimes there's some immediate success in some different ways, some different avenues, but the longevity of that success can be very short ended. So I think when you really have those, those true great foundations is where that, that, that success lies in some of that. That's great. So before we go to the outro here and, and, uh, tell people how to get to this podcast, any parting messages from Jody and Kelly here at State Line Co- Cooperative? Anything you want to make sure that we got out that maybe we missed? You know, we talked a lot about a lot of great things here. Right. Uh, I think once again, the, the things we talk about is that, you know, once again, the culture and the innovation side, you know, not going away from some of our traditional roots and that those ideals, but then being open-minded to that extension to um, all the technology that's put in place in front of us, all the products and innovation that are coming very much streamlined every day that, you know, we get approached by a lot of different companies through all, through the growing season and the years. I think in that aspect that we have a great team in place that helps kind of filter some of that stuff down gets rid of some of that noise outside that here's here's what you really need to do products we need to focus with even looking at that innovation and 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 really analyze that i feel like we do a great job of that here and and going forward i I feel like that's one thing we're going to really hold tight to is always looking at that innovation piece absolutely and staying on the top end of the industry to making sure that we're not hearing about somebody else did something and now we need to play catch up I think when we can kind of be on that tip of that sword with that, really what's make makes a company like this really special. And we've got a great supportive leadership group here that really helps drive that. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with Jody that, you know, we talked about the, the culture being the base of our of our go to uh go to message uh at the farm gate. And I see I think as growers see that, um, they see the innovation that we're bringing to the marketplace as well in our in our footprint is is a huge testimony of to what our leadership team is is laying out for our future uh from from that perspective and i see i think as our new prospects in our footprint look at the culture and the innovation that we're bringing to the table i think they're going to be like wow that's that's a definite thing that i want to get involved in and and you know start working with with our sales team on it and i think that's been teed up for us moving forward absolutely well that's that's really great i think for everybody listening in state line cooperative so if you're in Iowa, right? North Central Iowa, South Central Minnesota, you should be looking at a state line cooperative uh, for a good agronomy advice. That's what I'm hearing. But also for a good career because you have the right leadership and culture. So 
maybe we could do a follow-up on that with your leadership and, and have them share kind of their view and where they're taking the co-op. So you're always welcome here on the Acre Forward podcast. I want to thank Kelly Barnett and Jody Soma, both with State Line Cooperative, for joining us today. 